It's just a two, three, four. Oh, I face it, wax one every day. And I don't want it to get away. When I want entertainment, it kills me so. I got a sign red tattoo on me bum. Hello everyone, this is Jordan D. White here on Waxwork.com with Cast and Wax, the Waxwork podcast. As always, we have our three co-hosts with me, but I do want to say uh, to everybody, thank you for listening to last week's episode if you enjoyed it, and if you didn't, I'm sorry that you listened to it. It was a very uh, special uh, debate-themed episode because of obviously the presidential debates are going on in real life, and coincidentally, we had just gotten to the, the final presidential debate episode of Epic Echoes, and I thought, well, let's make a little show of it. I've been watching so much debate coverage, I thought it would be fun to make some, uh, so I let Frank Allen take over, and we did some debate show. Hopefully, again, hopefully you enjoyed that. It seems like a kind of fun thing to do, and once in a while we might do special shows like that. Um, you know, just if some sort of event type thing comes up that I want to do something special for. This is this is going to be a regular show, though. No reason not to do a regular show tonight. So let's just go back to introducing everybody that is on our show. I already mentioned Frank Allen, who hosted the show last week. Frank, thank you very much for that. Oh, you know, it's not a problem. So I just thank you for having me do that. Uh, it was a pleasure, as I, as I, I do like to show off my hosting ability. I, I can use that now as sort of a, a reel, uh, so to speak. I can link people to that uh, to say, you want to hear me hosting a show? Well, listen to this. I hosted a whole giant kit and caboodle of a show. Well, I, yeah, and you think I think you did a very good job. It was a very fun uh, debate coverage. And, you know, I wouldn't mind covering a real debate. I mean, obviously, the election's, you know, getting close to being over. But uh, if you need a pundit of some sort or someone to host a evening show, I'm uh, talking to, you know, anybody, MSNBC, CNN, uh, Fox News, uh, anybody who needs it, basically, I'm fine with that. All right. Well, okay. Fine. But you'll still do our show, right? If that happens, no. I mean, I'd be busy. I'd have a you know per, a daily job at that point. Thanks. Okay. Uh, Rory, we have Mr. Rory Sinjin here, who of course was on there debating with me. We were taking opposite sides of the uh, of the uh, election last time. Uh, how are you doing, uh, Rory? Uh, you know, I'm doing all right. Yeah. We didn't have a chance last time because it was a special show to talk about your personal life. How how are things going? Are you are you are you are you getting on okay now that you're out of jail and all that? Uh, yes. Thank you for you know mentioning it again. Um, no, I'm doing quite fine. I, I'm able to get back into my uh, my historical readings, and uh, that, I mean that's again that's where I'm making my primary living now, uh, just from doing extra historical readings for some you know professional people and for also some. I still have a few celebrity clients, but not, I mean not as many as I did, obviously, since they don't mostly want to associate with someone who uh, has been tied to a crime, even if the crime had nothing to do with the the job that I'm doing now. So to speak, well, I mean, from really from a point of view. Well, it does in that you were in court lying using the the method that you're using to perform these services. Well, no, that's, I mean, that's, you know, that's that's preposterous. And that's like saying, well, you were in court lying out loud, and so now you're, you're talking out loud, therefore it's very similar. So you admit that you were lying in court. Well, no, I wasn't lying. I mean, I wasn't lying. I was, look, I, I did my time. I paid for the crime that I was convicted of. At this point, there's nothing else that needs to be done about it. So I don't need to admit anything. I don't need to incriminate. There's no incrimination possible because I've already paid for the crime. So you admit that you did the crime. No, I didn't admit. Look, Frank, it's over. All right, it's over. I went to jail. I learned a bit of a lesson, so to speak, and now I'm back. All right. Yes, absolutely. All right. Uh, speaking of other people who went somewhere and then came back, Mr. Scape White here. Scape, last week you were in Boca Raton, Florida. What was that all about? Oh, well, I just wanted to go on vacation uh, and stuff. Tell us about it. What was it like? Um, it was like, um, well... Were there beaches there? Um, beaches there. Yeah. Beaches with lots of sand? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There was lots of sand to, 
you're pooping. No, beaches aren't beaches aren't pooping. There's like water. You can go swimming. Well, I don't. Why would I go swimming, Dad? I don't know. Why would you go? Okay. What I mean? What do you? Well, then you can just lie on the beach and I mean, obviously not get a tan because you're you're covered in fur. No. Why would I do that? Okay. Well, I guess we should reveal that you didn't actually go to Boca Raton, Florida, did you? Uh, no. It was just a it was a joke for the show. I think it was. It was. I don't. I didn't get it. But uh, Dad was like, "This would be funny." Well, yeah. And I said, "Will you really send me on on vacation?" And I, and Dad was like. No. 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 Well, but you should have. Why would you want to? Look, look I, like we just said, you couldn't even describe what Boca Raton, Florida would be like. It, all it would be, it would be hotter with a lot of sand around uh, on the beaches. I, I mean, I don't even know what else there would be there. I mean, people, you know, you can look at girls in bikinis. Wow. Exactly. That's my point. Why would you want to, you could go down there, maybe you, you'd see a shark. <laughs> a what? A shark, Scape, a shark. Dad. There's no such thing as sharks. We've been into this before. There is a such thing as sharks. And if you went to Florida, you might maybe see one, maybe. I mean, it's not guaranteed. If you went to SeaWorld, you'd be pretty much guaranteed to see one. SeaWorld? Where you see things? That's what it's about? Well, I mean, you'd see a shark. It, that's not why they call it SeaWorld. <sighs> Dad, this whole thing is not believable. It sounds like you make things up to try to scare me. Oh, there's some sort of giant killer thing that, that floats in water. <laughs> what? It doesn't have legs. <laughs> Everything has legs, Dad. What about fish? What about them? Fish is meat. No, but before it's meat, it's like a little thing swimming around in water. What? Dad, you make things up or not. Fish is just like chicken. And chicken is like a bird. A chicken is not a fish. I mean, they're, they're different. Dad. Jordan, this is, this is, I mean, do you, I, I don't know if you've ever met Scape. He doesn't really get stuff. I get stuff. I get stuff better than you guys do because you guys believe the, these rides that people tell you, apparently. <laughs> Sharks. Oh, okay. <laughs> Somebody goes, hey, there's a monster in the water. <laughs> With sharp teeth. Mama, mama, mama. Well, guess what? There's a monster here. I have sharp teeth. I'm like a monster in that respect. But nobody, nobody's like, oh, no, let's make a horror movie about Scapey. There's no such thing as sharks. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, we've got a good show lined up for you today. We've got an episode of Guard Duty. We've got an episode of Tractor Fiction. We've got an episode of Decker and Hayes. And in between, we've got stuff from Mr. Roy Sinjin and from Frank Allen. In, in the end, of course, we also have some some listener mail. So should be a, should be a blast. Rory, what did you think of the, the debate special? Did you enjoy doing that? Oh, yes, you know, I, I very much did. Uh, of course, what I found interesting about it, of course, being that it was itself a bit of extra history. It was an extra historical episode of the show. Uh, because, I, I mean, we all know that Epic Echoes is a show we listen to on the show. But then there we were kind of producing an episode of our series as though Epic Echoes were the world. And so that was, you know, a, a bit of, like I said, a bit of extra history. We were doing, uh, in many ways, what I do in my extra historical studies. Except, of course, obviously, when I do it as a service, it would be more focused on, on the person rather than, you know, the State of the Union and all. But but generally speaking, it was similar. Well, no, no, it wasn't. I mean, I wasn't trying to do some bogus extra history. We were doing a, it was, it was, oh, you're, you're, what are you trying to ruin everything for me? What? What's the, what's the problem? Well, I was going to use that as a real, but now you're pointing out that it's like it's really sounding like bogus lies. I was thinking, well, this will show that I can be the host of a show, the host of a presidential show. And it was all in fun, you know, playing along, but I wasn't trying to produce lies. And now you're making it sound like I'm a liar. No, I didn't say I didn't say you were a liar. I said it was an extra historical production. That's the same thing as being a liar. It's the same thing. That's what lies are. I mean, that's what history that's what extra history is, is lies. Frank, I, I mean, do you have to look at it that way? I mean, you could you you did have fun. I mean, it's just like you were saying before he said that. 
you were it was all in good fun. You were a host of a show. You can still use it as your reel. But people are going to think I'm a liar. People are going to think I'm associated with, you know, things like extra extra history and that I'm not. That's nonsense. Oh, you know, I just don't understand why you can. If I hadn't said anything, you would have been happy to have done extra history without realizing it. And, and, and it wouldn't have been a problem. But here you are. And it is a problem. Well, yeah, you pretty much summed it up there. I don't understand why you don't understand that. <sighs> You're very frustrating. You're a very frustrating man. Well, I don't care. Now I can't use that. Great. Well, I'm sorry for that, Frank. I'm sorry for that. Uh, well, why don't we get right to our first show? This is Guard Duty. Um, it's a episode featuring Captain Fantasy and Peas Blossom, and hopefully they will talk about some fun, fun stuff. Hopefully uh, you all will enjoy it as well. The Earth Guard. The planet's most powerful heroes united in the common goal of protecting the innocent people of planet Earth and defending them from threats of all kinds. From the Guard Tower, their base of operations, they watch over the citizens and spring into action at any sign of danger. That end, the guard takes shifts, monitoring events all over the globe. Sooner or later, they all have to take a shift of guard duty. This week, Captain Fantasy and Peace Blossom in Make Believe. To be perfectly honest with you, I don't know what to believe. I'd like to think the Stalin feels some sort of remorse, but he certainly isn't having very guilty dreams. I suppose you're right. Oshaman did know what he was doing. Still... No, no, I understand. You're right. The Stallion is a hero. It's just... He certainly knows it, doesn't he? I just mean that humility it certainly isn't his strong suit. Well, I'm not sure how many lives humility has saved, but I'd guess a couple at least. I'm not going to argue with you. I said he's a good Greetings, ma- Captain. Who is it you address? Peace Blossom. Uh, you scared the bejesus out of me. Apologies, my friend. Twas not my goal. It's okay. I was just having a little chat with Fall. Is she alive? <laughs> I hadn't noticed. <laughs> Odd. <laughs> I think I would recall something like that. Is she still on the comm? Greetings, fair foal! Uh, no, she's not on the comm. She's... She's right over there. I see no one. Art thou quite sure, Captain? Of course I'm sure. She's right... What? Oh, yes. She says no one else can see or hear her. But she is right over there. I see. A phantom foal for only you? Perchance she is merely the stuff of dreams, comprised of that which only you canst view. I doubt this foal is as real as she seems. Foal? A dream? But who would be dreaming her? There's no one else around but you and me, and she doesn't seem to be one of yours. She's not colorful enough. Or nude. Oh, could not she be a dream of yours? Oh, I don't dream. You what? I don't dream. At least, I don't think I do. How can you tell you're dreaming? Is that the part where everything makes sense, or...? If you ask me, this ugly world of man makes no more sense than flights of fancies do. At least in dreams both love and beauty can and do take precedence or so-called truth. 
How one can live here I will never know, unless they be one banished as I. Beats me. I don't live here. I'm just visiting. The people here have no magic in their lives. Everything has to be understood or it can't exist. I'm fortunate that all their disbelief hath not yet stripped me of my fairy self. Speaking of which, I do apologize for being late for guard duty. Just now, you see- Guard duty? Is that why I'm here? Fall. Why didn't you tell me? Yes. Well, again, I offer my regrets. A flock of fans were hounding me, you see, and being such a generous soul- What was the fight about? Fight? With binary girl. Isn't that what you just said? Nay. Oh, (laughs) sorry. World of Dreams is bleeding into reality again. Gosh, maybe Full isn't real. Pioneer girl and I, having a fight? (laughs) How fanciful your dreams can be, Captain. But what would she and I argue about? I haven't seen Barbara since last mission. Why would I? What is she to me but... Three times? (laughs) Just this morning? So how did that lead to a... Uh, Did you... Did you not just say that you... Captain! Methinks you need to learn restraint! Oh. I'm sorry. It's just, it's difficult to focus with you around. For that at least I can forgive you yet. Many a man has said the same to me. My face and figure far surpass there like among the women of the mortal realm. What? No, no. That's not what I meant. I was... Oh, I I, I see what you mean. You, You aren't wearing much, are you? But no, I just meant that you seem to carry a bit of the world of dreams around you. It it almost leaks out of you, so to speak. Regardless, it does not give you the right to lift the veil and look within my brain. My private life's my own, not yours. To- I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I already knew about you and Binary Girl, if that's what you're upset about. What? Yeah, she told me. She- Well, sort of. She? I mean, she was- Thinking about it really loud. It was shaping all the dreams around her. I couldn't help myself. If every member of the god possessed as much control or their powers as you, twould be a race to see if we would first be melted by yon Mr. Fahrenheit or Dr. Fast would smash into us all. Maybe you people should learn to keep your dreams to yourselves. Did you ever think about that? I'm just a guy hanging out and then... You all come in thrusting your dreams all up in my face. You don't see me writing my secrets on big signs and then carrying them around with me, do you? Not in years. Right, because it was a stupid idea and I learned from my mistakes. Maybe you all should take a page from my book. I mean, if you weren't broadcasting this fight you two or three had this morning, then I'm sure these pixies you always dream about wouldn't have these hideous fangs, which are quite disturbing. And I have no idea why a pine tree is threatening to eat you, but I'm sure it's related. I cannot help what goes on in my mind. Well, maybe instead of letting it stew in there and corrupting everything around you, you should try to talk about it. I really don't. Nonsense. I don't mind at all. Besides, if you don't just say it, I'm just going to see it in the images around you. Like this one of Binary Girl crying, and this one of her storming out of the room, and this one with you and two of her... Goodness, that certainly is. Captain! You're the ones who are doing it, and I was just... Looking. All right, all right. Perhaps you are correct. Perhaps discussing what occurred with her will help me get the matter off my chest. I think it will. Relax and just unburden yourself. All right. I hardly know where to begin. Barbara and I 
I care for her, I do. But in the end, what can become of us? As much as I enjoy her company and basking in the warmth of her embrace, how can I ever feel the way towards her that she already clearly feels towards me? She's in love with you? I would appear that way to me, and she desires that I admit to her that she resides within my heart of hearts. But how can one who has already lived for many times her human lifetime, and will likely live for many more, allow herself to love a mortal girl? Even were she to somehow live a life as old as eldest mortals ever grow, it would only be a moment in my eyes. How could I willingly attach myself to something so fleeting as love with her? That's a pretty defeatist attitude. I mean, why bother to breathe in when you're only going to have to breathe back out again? And even if we leave lifespan aside, so many other problems still exist. Uh, Let's say I give myself to her in full, and then my queen calls me back from exile. How could a woman err compared to that? To finally returning home at last, I'd have to leave her alone here, and that... That wouldn't be a thing I'd like to do. Methinks the lady doth protest too much. Dost thou mock me? No, no, it it was a... No. I just mean that it sounds like you might be trying to convince yourself of the reasons not to love her. Indeed? But why would I need to do that? Because you want to love her. (laughs) I see. Perhaps you think I am naive. That I somehow do not know my own mind? Happens to the best of us. But you forget I am not one of you. And if I were in love, then I would know. I can assure you of that fact at least. Fine. If you say so. So what are you going to do? I doubt anything need be done just now. Barbara and I both know where tis we stand. This fight aside, she understands that I've merely been with her to pass the time. To pass it pleasantly, mayhap, but still... She does? Of course. So why is there a horde of hideous bat creatures circling around your head? Tis but a dream and nothing more. Well, Fol and I disagree. And yet... Peas? Peas, are you there? Yes, Barbara? I need to know, Peas. I need to know where this is going. Where? If this is really nothing to you... I don't think it is. Silence! Uh, I'm sorry, I'm being stupid. Goodbye. Oh, I agree completely. What? Fall was just saying that Binary Girl might not understand things as well as you thought. Oh, really? Well, then why don't you and Fall stay here on guard duty while I head out and deal with things, alright? Thank you, but Captain. But, wait, I... You know, I'm not sure you count for guard duty, Fall. That you are. That you are. Jordan D. White, with Michael D. Mikowski as the narrator, Angela Tymon as Peasblot, Nicholas Roach as Captain Fantasy, Lynn Nelson as Binary Girl, with theme song by Michael D. Mikowski.
And we are back. Hopefully everybody, again, enjoyed that show. Uh, a little bit of fun there uh, at everybody's expense, Captain Fantasy's expense. Uh, one of my favorite parts where he talks about how he, at one point, used to write his secrets on, on, on placards and carry them around. That was very funny. Not very practical. Well, no, that's, that's why it's funny. Well... Okay. Oh, so speaking of secrets, uh, we do have uh, some secrets of history now, right, Rory? Oh, yes, absolutely. I did do another episode of This Day in History with, uh, uh, well, I, I reprised another episode of This Day in History and followed up on it with Where Are They Now in History? If you'd like, we listen to it right now. That would be excellent. That would, in fact, be excellent. Hello, my name is Rory Sinjin. This is WHRW Binghamton with This Day in History. On October 20th, 1944, after advancing island by island across the Pacific Ocean, U.S. General Douglas MacArthur wades ashore onto the Philippine island of Leyte, fulfilling his promise to return to the area he was forced to flee in 1942. Just like you said, he's come back! <laughs> Told you I'd return. Did I miss anything? Not really. Hmm. Well, hello, little Filipino boy. You're looking very strange. Are you all right? No. Why don't you tell me what's wrong, small Filipino child? I found this shell and I stuck it up my nose. Ah, ah, ah. I told him not to. I understand. You guys always do go to pieces without the supervision of a white patriarchal power. Here, Filipino child, let me get that out with my corn cob pipe. I'm so backwards, thank you. Anytime. Oh, my hero! What MacArthur did not realize was that he was violating the uh, cultural standards of Leyte, in which they are supposed to stick things up their nose, unlike the rest of the world where we realize it's a medical problem. They did, in fact, kill him shortly thereafter and throw his bits into the sea. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton, where we always tell the truth. But I know a few more things about this fact. This is Roy Sinjin on Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. It's very unfortunate that they killed General MacArthur because, in fact, he was trying to help them. It isn't actually good to put things up your nose, and you're probably wondering how he figured that out. Well, I will tell you. When he left them originally, what he did was he went back onto his ship and he sailed across the ocean blue. Unfortunately, at one point, he was like, Oh, I've got an itch up my nose. And he went to the top of the crow's nest and he put the tip of the mast of the ship up inside of his nose, and then he slipped and fell. And the entire mast of the ship went up his nose. Now, you're probably thinking this would be some sort of dim to his brain or something like that. Fortunately, it wasn't. But it did go up his nose very poorly and very badly, and he had to have it removed surgically. And it was a complete ruination of the ship. The ship couldn't be used ever again. Partially because they had to saw the mast off the ship in order to get it out of his nose. You'd think that was when he learned his lesson, but unfortunately, it wasn't. After his surgery, he said, oh, there's still a bit of a niche up there. And he stuck something else up his nose. I don't remember what, but it was also unfortunate. So, when he came back to their island and said they shouldn't stick things up their nose, he knew of what he spake. That little boy with that shell up his nose probably died of shell nose infection complications shortly thereafter. Uh, this is Roy Sinjin with Where Are They Now in History? I'm Casting Bikes. Wow, way to go with the really hard-hitting uh, public service announcements there. Don't stick things up your nose. Well, there's a lot of days in the year, Frank, and you can't do, you know, you can only do wear your seatbelt so much, you know? Sometimes you get to the stranger ones, and children have this problem, you know? Children do stick things up their nose, so they have to learn, you know, that that's not the right thing to do. No, no, because children aren't listening to this podcast, and if they are, that, that was probably inappropriate. I mean, you've got people sticking masts of ships up their nose. Not to mention earlier in guard duty, there was probably some stuff that was inappropriate for children, some 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 sex jokes there. Later on, we've got lesbian detectives. This is not a kids program. Well, but I, do, I mean, I keep people from swearing on it. Well, that's not enough. It's a violent show. Well, but uh, Frank, uh, you know, I think it's it's relatively family friendly. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it for like a toddler, and I wouldn't recommend it for someone you know maybe under under I don't know maybe you know someone who's a teenager can could enjoy it probably, and then beyond that, well, exactly that. There, there you go. So it's not actually family friendly. Well, there's families with children that are teenagers and up. Well, okay, so some sorts of families, but I mean, there's families 
movies where everybody's 100 years old. You could let that family listen to it, except they probably don't understand it because they're, you know, really old. That's not very nice. Anyway, the, look, this, this is all irrelevant. The point is, nose-sticking upness is not necessarily an important issue that's, that's hurting the people of today. I don't know why we would need a special thing just telling us not to stick things up our nose. Because people sometimes have stuck things up there. Look, I don't need to explain myself to you. I don't need to justify myself to you. This was a, a, a person who was a general in the army, and he almost died from sticking not one, but two different things up his nose in two different instances. And then he came back and tried to share that knowledge with some people, and in their unfortunate ignorance, they killed him for it. And the child who did it died as well. So the point is, this is a, this is a, this is an important issue, and it affects people's lives. The people whose lives ended in fake land, in not real, imaginary. Oh my God! All right, listen to this, Rory. Uh, there's an alternate reality. I don't know if you know about this. There's an alternate reality where uh, uh, extra history is widely accepted. Did you know that? Well, yes, of course there is. There's many of them. Right, right, sure. Of course there are. Well, here's one. I'm thinking of a specific one where uh, actually they learned that anyone who practices extra history dies a horrible death very soon thereafter. And they they actually outlawed extra history shortly after learning this and everyone became much happier and much uh, longer li- lived, so to speak. So uh, maybe we should do that here. That's a lesson I learned on this day in history. No, no, Frank, no. I'm sorry, that doesn't, that's not how it works, because you're just making that up. And in fact, I've actually, I actually know about that world, and what happened was, they thought that it was the extra history, but in fact, it was a new strain of uh, super plague that was killing people, and the reason it died out, it was a coincidence that a scientist had secretly uh, cured it without telling anyone and released the cure into the atmosphere. Soon they discovered that, then they started extra history again, and everyone was even happier. Sure, but but when that happened, extra history started persuading people of bad things, because people were looking into other realities and learning bad things, and uh, it started an immor- immorality plague, a mental meme of immorality, and everyone was killed. Everyone on Earth was killed by one person who got a bad idea from extra history. Every single person, because then he killed himself, and there was nothing ever alive on that planet again. Well, that may be true, but on another planet where there was life in that same universe, they looked at that and said, wait, what actually happened was that person was crazy, and extra history is not inherently good or bad, it is only as good or bad as it is used for. So if I use it for good, it is a good thing, and if that person uses it for bad, it's a bad thing. Oh, okay, fine, but then that same alien race um, um, just pooped themselves and died of poop poison, so that turned out to be bad too. If they hadn't learned about extra history from that other place, they probably wouldn't have pooped themselves to death. And you're upset that I don't make this a family-friendly show, Frank? You're making people poop to death. That's not the point. My point is that it's, look, extra history is nonsense. I mean, do you understand that's my point? You know, I think everyone on Earth understands that that's your point. Uh, Do you want to do your debate show now? Oh, yes. I'm sorry, yes. Uh, Tractor Fiction? Yes, Tractor Fiction. Right, right. This is a, uh, it's a very interesting episode because it's kind of a sci-fi episode of Tractor Fiction. Well, science fiction is is kind of like lies, you know. No, science fiction is not like lies. I mean, it's fiction. It's got fiction right in the title. That's what the phi stands for in the sci-fi. Fine. All right, well, so this is called The Last Generation. Let's, let's, let's listen to it. It's, it's something else. All right, let's go. Listening to WHRW Binghamton. My name is Frank Allen. This is Tract or Fiction here on uh, Welcome to the Waxwork. We kind of do this every week. We do a little tract by Jack Chick, and then we uh, we perform it, and then we uh, talk about it. It's an amazing, amazing thing that we do. Uh, this week we've got a tract called The Last Generation, and it takes place some indeterminate amount in the future. You can't quite tell how far in the future, and I guess that's sort of the point. 
Alright, uh, here we go. I'm gonna bring us out of this music there. There we go. Alright, uh, let's begin the wonderful tract, The Last Generation. In the not-too-distant future, the world we know and love has grown to become a corrupted, insidiously evil dystopia. A midday newscast begins over the worldwide censorvid networks. From the World Court headquarters in Rome, stand by as Supreme Justice Mahoney S.J. addresses the world. I'm Charlton Heston. I'll be playing the part of Chief Justice Mahoney. It is the decision of this court that anyone who claims that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father in Heaven shall be committed to a mental camp for treatment and or be executed. All those who oppose the law are officially enemies of me and the state. The announcement receives a resounding harumph. 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 From the other Supreme Court justices, while elsewhere in Residential Unit 742 in District 1911, an older man turns off the sensor vid feed and turns to his daughter Connie and her husband Charles. Dad, what does this mean? Connie, one way or another, we may be moving into our mansions in heaven very soon. We have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Persecution, new killer diseases, earthquakes, and wars everywhere all prove this is the last generation. That's why I'm excited. Listen to this. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. Romans 8.18. The world has nothing, but as Christians we have everything. And the darker it is in this world, Charles, the brighter our hope becomes. We are about to see Jesus face to face. I thank God I'm ready to meet him. Dad! Shh! Here comes a monster! It was not an actual monster that entered residential unit 742 moments later, but merely the most evil and warped creature this horrid dystopian world had ever birthed. Connie and Charles's ten-year-old son, Bobby. Oh, maggot-infested tofurkey. Kids at school have all been calling me slime because... because... <laughs> Because me hig-begotten parents are still married. Why were you all talking about, huh? Never mind, Bobby. What did you learn in school today? <laughs> He's gonna love this. My teacher reminded that I use either an adorable little puppy dog or a cute cutie pie little kitty as my Halloween sacrifice this year. She's a witch? You idiot. You knew that. Son, you should love animals. Shut up, fool. They're only jerks who died and came back as dogs and cats. Is anything else going on at school? Tomorrow, a healer is going to tell us about the mother goddess being spotted everywhere, and he's going to teach us how to find <coughs> and turn in heretics. <coughs> God, help us. You just said the wrong thing, you old crud. Bobby, go to bed right now. Larry's mom said that to him, but now she's in a concentration camp for child abuse. Want to join her? Bobby's teachers have ruined him. Dad. When he's asleep, tell me about the blessed hope. And so, later that evening, lit only by virtue lights, the old man told Charles all there was to know. At any moment, Jesus will snatch all believers up into the air and take us to heaven. It's called the rapture. This is the blessed hope. That begins a seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. Those left behind will serve a satanic one-world dictator. God will hit the earth with unspeakable plagues, wiping out millions. But wickedness will increase until the Battle of Armageddon, when Christ will return and and take control of the entire world. Whoa. You two better stop this kind of talk and go to bed. The next day in Bobby's class, the teacher stands in front of the eager students next to a giant buff man in a green form-fitting jumpsuit. On his chest is an emblem of a snake encircling a staff with a peace sign on its head. He wears a belt with a few holstered weapons inside it. His face is a huge scar running down the right side over his eye, and on his head he wears a pointed cowl. It is with great pleasure that I introduce you a famous New Age healer. Thank you! We're looking for the sickos who hate 
our blessed mother goddess, the queen of heaven. These insane criminals believe Jesus Christ created the universe. If I turn in one of those losers, will I get a reward? Yes, a big reward. Just give your teacher their names and we will treat their illness. And so back at residential unit 742... Grandpa, did Jesus create the universe? If I say yes, will your healers take me away? That's none of your business. Jesus Christ is God Almighty, the creator of the universe. He shed his blood for our sins. Bobby, if you receive Jesus, you'll go to heaven too. I hate you and your stupid Jesus. You're an insane criminal. I hope the healers kill you. Bobby runs out of residential unit 742 to fetch the healers. Hurry, Charles. Take Connie and her brother Paul to the cabin. You'll be safe there. I love you, Daddy. Twelve hours later, the healers are interrogating the old man, meaning they are torturing him with some amazing futuristic torture device. His screams echo around the healing center. How long before he cracks? Not long. We inserted microchips to increase the pain, and we have two ways of torturing him. We're going to use the comfy chair, the fluffy cushions, and wait, three ways of torturing him. Stopping the torture machine, one of the healers pulls the old man's hair and and questions him to see if the torturer has had the desired effect. Who is Jesus? The creator of the universe, and I love him. Vaginal rot! Take this heretic away. Dispose of it or use it for food. Out in the uninhabited forests, Paul, Charles, and Connie finally arrive at the cabin. We made it, Paul! But Paul is not so sure. I'm Charlton Heston, and I'm not very sure. Because if I get caught, I'll be tortured. I'm gonna turn all these people in! Connie! I'm going out for Cheerios and other supplies! Be careful, Paul! Don't worry, sis! I'll be back tomorrow with guns, booze, and Cheerios! Paul goes straight to the healers. I wanna report two sickos who don't want me to bring them Cheerios. Tell us all about it, my friend. Do I get a reward such of as course. milk for the Cheerios? As much milk as you can drink on your Cheerios if you drink Cheerios. <laughs> One hour later, here the forces armed from head to toe arrive at the cabin on heavy ATVs and helicopters. Charles! Charles, they found us! Help us, Lord Jesus! Shoot the kill! But at the exact instant the healers burst into the cabin, the rapture occurs. Ding. The clothes are on the floor. Man, must have been some night. But where are they? They're in the clouds with Christ. The end. That was quite a tract there. A few people missing from the cast list. Uh, That's my fault. Sorry about that. Way to go! You know, I've had a rough week. Why don't you rub it in? All of my uh, children died. Uh, yes? Oh, are you are you the first debater? I'm sorry. Okay, we've got our debaters in the room. Debater number one, uh, can you introduce yourself, please? Uh, hi. My name is Alfred Wallace, and I'm from the future. Hello. Uh, how far, may I ask how far in the future? Um, funny you should mention that. It's, let me think. How late, what time is it right now? Uh, right now it's, uh, 9, 10 p.m. Okay. In the evening. 9, 10, so about 10,000 years. Great, great, excellent. And debater number two, or debater number duh, as they say in French. Duh. Oh, it's you. Okay, ma'am. What, what's your name? Hmm? What's your name? Step aside. I'll feel this one. I'm Charlton Heston, survivalist and patriot of America. So, Charlton, Charlton, are you debating today? I am debating. This is going to be okay, great. Okay. All right. Great. Wait. Um, wait, yeah. Charles. I think I'll take this one. Wait. You're going to fight over who's debating? What? What's going on here? Just make my day, Mr. Heston. You can't do a good Clint Eastwood. You can't do a good Charlton Heston. Why don't you come over here and make me? Wow, we have two Clint Eastwoods. This is impressive. 
I can take both of them if you want. And only one Heston! Now get on with the debate before I sober up! All right, all right, all right. We're gonna gonna do Mr. Heston versus uh, Mr. uh, Wallace. Wallace from the future. All right. Now, uh, oh, here's a penny. Look at that. Did you know that Charlton Heston, you think this tract is true, and Mr. Wallace from the future says that this tract is false? Eminently appropriate, actually. Uh, Why don't you tell us all about it, Mr. Wallace? Okay. Um, So 10,000 years in the future. Yeah. Still hasn't happened yet, this rapture you speak of. I mean, we've got lots of healers and such, but it's certainly not the cruel, evil dystopia where Christianity is outlawed. Interesting, interesting. I mean, I had this ex-girlfriend who believed in Jesus a lot, and as such was kind of irritating because she wouldn't put out and she had this beautiful butt. Anyway, that is immaterial. So I know what beautiful butts are like. Oh, yes, you do. I was in Planet of the Apes! Tell me, man from the future! Yeah? Is the planet ruled by monkeys that evolved from man. Um, no. Apes aren't monkeys. Apes! Monkeys! They're all the same, those damn primates. Either way. This tract is true. Tell us about it. Because guns are commonplace now, and they're commonplace in uh, Mr. Future. Heston, Mr. Heston, Mr. Heston, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yes. all your banging about un- un- made your microphone work. There's there working there again. It's working again. There you go. As I was saying, the future's got guns. Guns are the future. So wait, I don't understand why would why would people who are called healers have guns? Healing comes through hot lead pumped into the human body. Oh, burning the flesh and breaking the intestines apart and destroying those who do not drink heavily. Okay, I think we have an expert here on, on I don't know, what, what are you an expert on? I'm sorry. Yes, hello. Uh, my name is Betty Davis Ours. Uh, I played the narrator. All right. Um, I'm an expert both on reporting and pornography and therefore beautiful butts. Ooh. I do in my spare time Moonlight as a pornography star. Oh, beautiful butts. But I thought you looked familiar. You're in my history textbook. So what? What's your uh, What's your statement on this? Uh... My statement is I I will be taking a stance primarily on reporting. Um, and I would like to say that this was actually an instance of terrible reporting. There is a moment in here where. I said, as reading the, the tract, that the rapture occurred, and I would like to make a clarification. That was indeed Rapture, which is a wrapping paper company which did occur. The, the, the wrapping paper company occurred? It did. It was founded at that moment. So then why did those people disappear? Because they're probably afraid of wrapping paper is my best guess. Because they're Obi-Wan and Jedi Knights! Actually, no, it's a common fear in the future. Of disappearing. Um, of no, actually, paper, wrapping paper. Oh, and eggs. Your pansies in the future! Do you want to know how you die, Mr. <coughs> Heston? How does Heston die? Heston is forever! You I'm... know what's really embarrassing, Mr. Heston? What's embarrassing, man from the future? Autoerotic asphyxiation. Charlton Heston's ego is shot. Heston wants some booze. Where's my booze? See, actually, I heard that they found his body uh, with his head and arms slightly sticking out of the sand on a beach somewhere. Heston a was common not... misconception. Heston was not meant to know the future. This is like back to the future. Man should not know his own destiny. Great Scott. You want to know who comes to your funeral? No, I don't want to know. This is hurting Heston. 
Justin's beliefs! I have these photographs right here. Oh, take them away! Might I make one clarification, gentlemen? Yes, Autoerotic asphyxiation is not necessarily embarrassing, nor is watching pornography with my beautiful butt in it. It's true. It is a beautiful (laughs) butt, but I'm, I'm nothing now! Mr. Eastwood, did you have a comment on this? I just want to say... You never were anything. And other Mr. Eastwood, did you have a comment on this? Why don't you come over here and show me how I can be something, if that's what you are. Whoa, uh, now, hold on. Is Mr. Eastwood hitting on Mr. Eastwood? That's a little kinky. <laughs> autoerotica right there! Yeah, if, he, if, he strang- if one of them strangles I... the other, is that autoerotic asphyxiation? I... Gentlemen, I know a few directors if you'd be interested in some work. Eston is too depressed to work. Eston's gonna leave and throw himself inside a whiskey bottle. Well, just watch out or Heston will smash. Gun to the population of this country. It won't work. Whoa, whoa. Is he- he- Mr. Heston, are you- are you, man of the future. are you giving up the- Oh my goodness, he's he's surrendering to the debate. Oh, yes. I would like to ask who, just who is your daddy? Well, look, you know what? Actually, you know, even though he left, even though he- Reward for Well, even though he left, I'm gonna- I'm gonna decide if he won. Let me think about this really hard. See- see if he won anyway. And the coin is flipped. You know what? He didn't. Mr. What? Heston, I'm sorry. Mr. Heston did not win. No, didn't. Did oh, not. Okay. Uh, Mr. Wallace from the future uh, won. Apparently, he knew he was going to win. That's probably why he came yes. back. Uh, and Mr. <laughs> Heston was foolish to challenge a time traveler who had pictures of his funeral. I am a time traveler. Uh, so that's that about does that for Tractor Fiction this week. Hopefully, you'll stick around. We'll have more tracts and more fictions next week uh, to uh, make fun of or uh, believe in and praise, depending on who you are. So uh, thank you, everybody in the studio, and have a nice evening. See you soon. That episode of Tractor Fiction featured the voice talents of Frank Allen, Scott Finbo, Lynn Nelson, Nicholas Roach, Daniel Schwartz, Sam Thomason, Angela Tymon, Devin White, and Jordan D. White. And Frank, I have to tell you immediately that that, again, was an example of extra history. It postulated a different reality, and it is a reality that exists in certain dimensions. Did you know that? No, Rory, it doesn't. First of all, it doesn't, okay? Second of all, it was a Jack Chick reality, so it was made up by Jack Chick and not by me. I didn't endorse that reality. I just, it, it was a goofy, stupid tract. Well, if you want to get technical about it, I mean, realistically speaking, if there really are infinite realities, there then there, each reality is an infinite number of combinations, and therefore each tract of Jack Chicks does correspond to another reality. No, that's not... Okay, we've already disproven this. No, nobody's disproven this. If somebody had disproven it, I wouldn't believe it anymore. Well, I no, because I did disprove it. You didn't disprove it. I No, I said that... You know, just because and there's an infinite number of realities, even if there's an infinite number of realities, because there might not even be an infinite number of realities, but if there is, that doesn't mean that there's every combination, because on a number line, again, on a number line, that does not mean that anything I imagine is on a number line, because a shoe is not on a number line. But a shoe is not a number. That's what I'm saying. This reality that you're postulating might not be a reality. I've postulated it, therefore it's a reality. No, that's not necessarily true. Look, forget all that. I've got a Frank Allen interview to do. Jordan, can I do it? Well, okay. Okay, yes, I was kind of enjoying the argument. No, don't enjoy the... 
argument. Look, I, I interviewed the, the, the narrator from that who then came up in the debate, uh, uh, the, the porn star Betty Davis Eyes. Why did you interview her? What did she have to say? What, was she, is she interesting? Well, she's a, she's a porn star. It's kind of interesting. I guess, yeah. I mean, okay. I don't, well, I kind of you know, thought that was enough. But also, it, it's, a good, it's a good interview because we get some, some business done. And especially since I can't use last week's episode as my reel anymore, I can, I can do this, this new thing that we're talking about. All right, let's get right to it. Frank Allen Interviews. Starring Frank Allen. Hello, and welcome to Frank Allen Interviews. My name is Frank Allen, and I have an interview lined up for today that is very informative for everyone who's listening. Uh, this is a, a woman who you just heard on Tractor Fiction. Um, her name, of course, is uh, Betty Davis Eyes. Uh, let's welcome her to the studio. Thank you, thank you. Uh, please, tell us about yourself. Well, as you probably know by this point, uh, my name is Betty Davis Eyes, and uh, I am both a reporter and a part-time porn star. Now, how exactly did you go about... Uh, getting into those businesses simultaneously. They don't seem to go together very much. Well, it didn't happen simultaneously, Frank. Uh, I started out as a reporter, and my career, while relatively lucrative, uh, did not exactly take off the way I'd planned. And so in order to supplement my income and try to make a little more of a name for myself, um, I went into the porn industry. So you were a, a reporter first? I was indeed. And I don't understand, how is it that the news outlet that you work for is all right with this? Well, it's funny you should ask that, Frank. Actually, the television station that I work for um, on occasion does have a little bit of nudity in it. Uh, there are, you know, many stations at this point, at least in Europe, have um, decided that people are more likely to watch the news if they can see some naked ladies, and uh, half-naked, at least, um, top up. But, um, you know, it's that's sort of how my career was sparked. Uh, there was an accidental shot on one of the newscasts that I did uh, that showed off my behind, which which I'm told is quite lovely, and uh, I was called by several directors at that moment. Now, okay, uh, so your your name is Betty Davis Eyes, uh, is that correct? Yes, in, more or less, yes. Now, why would you say more or less? Well, Frank, it sort of started out as my porn name. You know, every star in porn videos has a special stage name they use. It was a nickname I had received in uh, primary school, and uh, I just thought it was kind of cute, uh, a little seductive, a little flirty. But since I didn't really want my real identity revealed because I was doing both of these things at first. I just changed my name. So it is technically my name, it's just not what I was given at birth. Well, okay, now this is very confusing. So you're saying, so that's your porn name, but not your news name? You have a different news name? No, now I do have that news name. But you used to, you were on the news first, so you would have had a, another news name. Yes, but I'd prefer not to reveal it. Well, wouldn't people would be able to find it pretty easily, wouldn't they? Sure, but I, I mean, I don't really want to talk about it. It's a difficult time in my life, so. Well, why was it a difficult time? You were a news reporter. Yes, but as I mentioned, my career didn't really go where I'd like it to have gone, so. So you don't like being a porn star? Being a porn star is fine. I, I enjoy it. Um, I'd rather be reporting full-time. Yes, but, uh, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do. You'd rather be reporting topless full-time? Not really topless, either. Um, Fake topless? No, uh, fully clothed. Fully clothed? Well, that's not topless at all, then. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. But but don't, I thought you'd do topless news. Sometimes, Frank, people are forced to settle for less than they would have liked. I don't want to be reporting topless. I don't uh, have a moral objection to it. I just would prefer not to. But, you know, you've got to take what you can get. So you don't really want to be a reporter? I want to be a reporter. I want to be a legitimate reporter. So you're not a legitimate reporter? I wouldn't call topless news legitimate, no. So you so then why, can we, why should anybody take your word on things? I report the news. I report the truth. 
truth. But I do it in such a manner that you may not be paying attention to it because you'll be looking at my boobs. All right. Well, uh, that that's, doesn't really make a lot of sense. So, uh, did, did I mention to the people at home that this is a topless interview? Well, no, Frank, you, you don't exactly have to tell them that. I mean, you, like I said, you take what you can get, but um, I would prefer they didn't know that. Thank you. But you agreed to it. Well, you offered to pay extra. Well, that, but the whole thing, the whole point would be to tell people that it's going on. I understand that's like that's what makes it lucrative. You know, people like to listen to naked people. Well, you didn't, but you didn't mention you'd be telling them. So is that extra? Uh, well, no. Story of my life. Right. You okay. sound very okay. similar to a person that we know of before. Well, if she's British, I imagine we would sound similar. Right, right. Uh, she is, and so all British people sound the same. Well, that's what I hear from Americans who uh, can't seem to deal with accents. Right, right. So we're in agreement. No, we're not. Um, in fact, if you played her for me, I'd probably say we don't sound similar at all. Well, if I played her, like, uh, you, she would sound like me. No, I mean a recording. Oh, that okay, because I thought you meant... No, I didn't. Right. Well, uh, okay, but, but here's the thing. You actually look a little bit similar to this person as well. Well, who is it? Oh, she's a, she's a news reporter for... I don't know where she works, but she's a news reporter. She's a British news reporter. I see. Uh, she's a British news reporter. Is she is she famous at all, or is this a... I mean, would I know her? Well, I don't think of her as famous, no. Well, what's her name? Well, it's uh, Dana DeZago, who I know from my days as a, a, a student of journalism. Dana DeZago. Right. I see. Yeah. So is this some sort of joke that you brought me on, then? Well, no, it's not a joke. I, I mean, it was mostly because of the topless thing, I think. I see. You had absolutely no uh, knowledge of the connection between Dana and myself. No. What con connection? Are you guys lovers? No, th no, Frank, thank you. Not on this earth, not in this lifetime, thank you. In a previous life? No, not ever. Would I ever love her or like her or kiss her or anything? She ruined my career. She ruined my interview. I should be where she is right now. Thank you. Wait, I'm sorry, what? Why? Why? What, what did she do? What? There are so many spots for reporters, you know? There are only so many. It's not like everyone can make it big in the business. And I mean, Dana did, but we were in direct competition. We had interviews at the same time. We had practice tapes at the same time. Uh, and we were both up for a very large spot reporting. And Dana got it and I didn't. And I'm convinced, if you must know, that it has to do with her accent. She sounds a little less British than I do. And uh, that's what they look for. Well, I don't... This is... This is this doesn't make any sense to me. This goes against so many things. First of all, less of an accent never works. Because I don't have an accent and I don't get hired. So, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. More of an accent usually is a better thing. Well, you have an accent. No, I don't. You do. You sound not only American, but like country American to me. I mean, if you went to England or anywhere in Europe, I mean, they would automatically, they'd go, oh, well, he's American. I mean, he has the American accent. Well, no, because they have the British accent. Look, okay, whatever. Look, I'm not talking about the accent. The accent thing is weird. But the thing that What's even weirder is they would pick Dana over you when you're the one who's topless. I, that doesn't make any sense at all. Look, when they are looking to hire reporters for respectable news, highly broadcast news, they're looking for A, somebody who can uh, blend in, and generally that means less of an accent if possible, which I, some may consider racist, I, I might. And B, they're looking for somebody who they consider respectable and somebody who goes on TV to report the news topless and no one really pays attention to what they're saying because they're looking at their chest, they don't consider respectable. So there you go. Well, that doesn't make any sense because if you had two people and one of them was a, a topless woman and one of them was not, I think most people would pick the topless woman.
for a porn movie, maybe, or for, you know, a night of passion, but not to report the news. But you're in a porn movie. Yes, that's why I'm in a porn movie, because they wouldn't take me to report. I, I don't understand. You sent them videos of yourself topless and they wouldn't hire you. No, I didn't send them videos of myself topless. Are you mad? But that's the way you report the news. That's the way I report the news on the stupid little television station. I have to report the news on because major networks will not take me. Well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe you should have sent them the videos of you topless and they might have hired you. If they don't know that that's your thing, then maybe that's why they thought, well, Dana's better at her thing. Do they do, they do that in America? I mean, and all the news I watch in America and most of the news I watch in Europe is not topless. Maybe that's the problem. You're saying perhaps news reporting needs a revolution. Well, I mean, it clearly does because, I mean, there are people who should be doing news who aren't doing news. So something's got to go. Something's got to change. Frank, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, I mean, I, this is amazing. This is a, I, my, I have hope for my career now. I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to go home. I'm going to record a topless story, a big story, and I'm going to send it into all the major networks. I've got a story for you. What's that? All right. Um, a couple of years ago in town in New York, there was a guy who was killed, and they never found the murderer, but I know who did it. A murder mystery? Well, it's not a mystery. I know who did it. But then how come no one else solved it? How come you didn't tell the police? I tried to tell the police, but they didn't believe me. I was like a voice alone in the wilderness. A murder and a police cover-up that I could report topless? Yes. Let's do it, Frank. All right, here's the deal. There's a girl who did it. Her name is Lynn Nelson. You have to expose her for what she is, murderer, and get her to go to jail. Topless. Well, I don't care if she's topless when she goes to jail. But you got to expose her. No. I mean, I guess that's a way of exposing her. No, I have to report the story topless. Well, sure. I mean, why not? No, that's the whole point. I thought that was the point. You said if I if I reported topless and I sent in an audition tape like that, they'd be likely to take me and we were going to revolutionize the news. Well, people are going to watch that tape longer than they're going to watch a not topless tape. I'll tell you that much. All right, let's get on it. Where, where do we start? You got, I just told you. you got to expo- expose this girl. But how do I find her? I can tell you where she lives. All right. And you can hound her. Well, I, you mean investigate her. Whatever you got to do. All right. Frank, I'm going to do it. When we are done with this interview, I'm going to get her address from you. I'm going to investigate the story. I'm going to take my shirt off and my underwear off. And I'm going to make an audition tape that I'm going to send to the networks. And you'll write me a recommendation, right? Sure. Uh, your underwear? My brassiere. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to do full nude. No, only topless. All right. Unless they pay more. Well, they would. Then we'll talk. All right. This sounds like a good deal. And you're going to, you won't rest until she's in jail. Well, at least I won't rest until I have a career on, on the news. And she's in jail. If she did it. She did. All right, then. Yes. Yes. Good. Then that's that. All right. Well, that was a very productive interview because we are going to make things happen. Justice is going to be served, and you'll hear about it here on Cast and Wax as soon as humanly possible. Thank you for doing this topless interview. Thank you so much for having me, Frank. I um, I have a new outlook on life and uh, a, a newfound hope for my career, and it's all thanks to you. So thank you very much. No problem. No problem. Uh, this has been a Frank Allen interview, and uh, there'll be more soon. <sighs> Frank, are you still... Lynn did not kill that guy. How do you know? I don't... I mean, because I know her, and I don't think she did it. You don't think she did it. We're going to find proof that she did. No, aren't, no, aren't you supposed to say we're going to find out for sh- sure? We're going to find out proof one way or the other? Well, I mean, if there... There's only going to be proof one way. There can't be proof one way or the other. And, and she did it, so there's going to be proof that she did it. But maybe she didn't do it. I'm saying she did do it. There's, there's going to be proof. You can't have proof that she didn't do it when she did it. Yes, but you're deciding that she did it before you find the proof. What 
if you find proof that says she didn't do it, you're not going to notice it because you're saying she did do it. Because she did it. Don't you get that? She did it. She killed a man. You don't know that she killed... Oh, God. Why are you doing this, Frank? She didn't. She didn't kill anybody. She's a good person. She writes shows for us. She acts on our shows. She plays all sorts of different characters. I don't understand why you're accusing her of murder. Well, I don't understand why she's denying it when it's clearly true. It, it Well, the one theory is that she didn't do it. Jordan, we're going to find this proof and you're going to eat your words. Fine. Fine. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to eat my words. You know what? Let's move right along. Uh, we've got so much stuff going on. We're going to get right to the next show. The next show, of course, being The Way Things Used to Be, an episode of Decker and Hayes. We're st- we're in season two of Decker and Hayes, and at this point, what you've got is uh, Macy Hayes has been released from jail conditionally because she's working with some FBI agents. But last time we saw her, she was being tortured by them. So that wasn't pleasant. I think they cut off one of her toes, and then they were using uh, water torture dripping on, on someone to drive her uh, to, to break, I guess. And it sounded like it worked last time we heard her. Meanwhile, Stella Decker has run into her ex-lover, uh, uh, whose name is Tasha, and she used to be in the gang with her. Well, she's kind of looking into what's been going on with all that, where she's been. She disappeared many years ago, and well, now they got to figure out what's what. Also, she was hired by a guy named Derek Washburn, and uh, she, his story didn't really check out. So she's got him tied up now after he attacked her at, uh, at the, uh, the brothel of a uh, madam that she knew. Let's get right into it. I think you'll kind of pick things up as you go along. This is Decker and Hayes. Decker and Hayes, Season 2, Episode 4, The Way It Used to Be, by Nicholas Taylor Roach. Things aren't always the way they appear, especially in a place like Parlortown, where the harlots could be loving mothers, the authorities could be crooks, and the detectives are modern knights in shining armor can have a far darker past than imagined. Stella Decker knew this better than anyone else. A gangster turned private eye, she saw it all the time. Crime bosses masquerading as tax consultants, assassins playing the part of girlfriends, and now hitmen pretending to be distraught fathers. In the murky depths of Parlotown's south tip, Stella made a visit to Celeste Mama Wang, a madam with a heart of gold, hoping to find a lead on this enigmatic case. In the process of doing so, Stella's client Derek Washburn arrived with a thickening of the plot and a loaded gun. With the help of Mama, Stella knocked him out and tied him up, with the intent of finding out what's really going on. Ugh. 1,988. Honey, you're going to need more than a bunch of numbers if you plan on leaving sometime soon. South Tip cellars are full of forgotten bodies the boys in blue never got around to finding. Wait, Mama. This might be something important. The way it used to be was so much different. Dear, I hope you start making some sense soon. I'd hate to see what would happen if I had to call up the rest of the gang. Why have you been looking for Macy? I'd hate to be the one to break it to you, but you're not exactly her type. I'll take that as a compliment. Her type isn't a safe one to be near. Just what are you insinuating? Untie me first. Not gonna happen, shiny shoes. Give us what we need to know at first. Then we'll consider it. Impeding an agent of the U.S. government is a pretty serious offense, Ms. Wang. Don't think the CIA won't be looking for this body if it winds up in a cellar. Go on, check the credentials. Right coat pocket. 
Stella reached into the man's coat pocket and withdrew a wallet. In it was a card with his picture on it and the CIA logo, indicating his status as an operative. The name read Jason Drake. So you're a fed. If you want to call me that, sure. But I've heard the title, G-Man. What do you want with Macy? It all started in 1988, when Hayes and her old partner, runs by the name of Lexi Grayson, were working with us on a mission in Russia. The Cold War was almost over, and the Ruskies had the KGB team up with them for this one. They were to off an ex-general in the Russian army who was causing some trouble with his arms sales, a renegade called Shmerdakov. Grayson was to sneak into his office and do the deed, while Hayes stood guard outside and made sure no one interrupted. Evidently, things didn't go according to plan. We just got word that Shmerdakov is still alive and well, and he's not happy with how either us or the mother country has been treating him. What's more, Grayson's gone turncoat. We know she's part of a terrorist cell that Shmerdakov is leading somewhere in this very area. Grayson was never happy with Hayes leaving the agency for Cross, but there's more to it than that. She has something that Shmerdakov needs. Your partner's in over her head. I doubt you're here to keep her from drowning. Of course not. I'm here to see if she can pull Shmirdakov out of hiding. Truth be told, I don't have a son. Not even married. That was just a story to get me closer to Macy. With all these lies floating around, how can I be sure your story isn't one of them? How else would I know so much about Agent Hayes' past? The only other people that knew so much were Wexler and Cross. And, well, I don't think any of them can tell me much of anything, given their condition. Now, if 20 questions is over, can you untie me? Stella and Mama exchanged looks. Why don't you sit this one out and let the big boys play, eh, Drake? Mama, can you take care of this suit until this shindig's through? No way. Dear, I love you to death, but I'm not going to keep some fed hold up in here for God knows how long. Besides, you need me. You don't stand a chance at fighting Shmerdakov. He keeps too low of a profile. Your best lead is Grayson, and even she's tough to track unless you know the kind of people I do. Stella weighed her options for a few moments. Go it alone, possibly getting help from McGinnis, who knew even less about the case than her. Or bring Drake along for the ride, even if his story still seemed fishy. Finally, she made her decision. Mama, untie the rope. Drake, you better not be more trouble than you're worth. Trust me, I'm not. You did already kill a good friend, you know. What makes you think I did that? It could be the gunshots we heard before you came in. Or admitting to murdering him, you psycho. I said I dispatched with him. That means you killed him. It could mean I killed him. It could also mean to dispose of something or to complete a task. In this case, it's the latter. Follow me. Drake led Mama and Stella toward the stairs, where they could hear distant groaning. At the bottom, they could see Lucky clutching his foot to his chest in agonizing pain. Blood oozed out of a hole in his boot. Mr. Y? Oh, God! Call an ambulance! Now! Later, Stella found herself yet again in the sterile, uncaring environment of the hospital, hoping beyond hope that yet another one of her friends survived a senseless shooting. It seemed like history had a nasty habit of repeating itself in Parlor Town. This time, however, it wasn't the familiar presence of Macy, Tommy, or Julian in the room with her, but that of the still dubious Agent Drake. After a long, uncomfortable silence in the waiting room, Drake spoke up. What's on your mind? What's on my mind? In the last 24 hours, I've met two old friends so close they were like family to me, only for some crazy jackass to come along and shoot them, putting them in here. That's what's on my mind. And guess what? I don't even know why it happened either time. Look, Stella, he wouldn't let me in. 
So you had to shoot him? Yeah. I had to keep up appearances. The plan was to wound him so people knew I meant business. Take you out of there at gunpoint, then explain everything to you personally so I wouldn't blow my cover in front of these two. Now, at least one person who shouldn't know about my operation does. Well, I'm sorry to be an inconvenience. Look, I'm going to see how Tasha's doing. After that, we can start following up on these leads of yours. And you better be here when I get back. CIA, mafioso, whatever. I don't care who you are. That said, Stella got up to ask the receptionist if it was still visitation hours. Elsewhere in town, Tommy Potsdam was en route to the apartment office of Paige Rose. With Stella's visa being overdrawn, the check turned out to be the only option they had. Passing the blue diner, Tommy couldn't help but remember the fiasco that went on there, landing Macy Hayes in prison and his girlfriend six feet under. A few blocks down and three stories up, he found the door to Paige's apartment ajar, with a sign hanging off the doorknob reading, Out to Lunch. Sally girl makes a living off looking into other people's things, and she can't even put a little effort towards keeping others from doing it back. Well, I'll just drop off the check inside. As a precaution, Tommy knocked on the door a few times. When he was certain she was still out, he stepped in. Paige's housekeeping skills were about as sloppy as her security. Take-out food containers, papers, and other things were strewn about the place. He found some relatively uncluttered portion of Paige's desk to place the envelope Stella had given him. That part's done. I do say, Miss Decker and I keep a far cleaner ship than this Paige woman. As he started for the door, Tommy heard the phone ring. Took everything inside of him to resist the well-conditioned urge to pick it up and say, Decker and Hayes. He continued for the door instead, letting it ring until the answering machine picked up. He stopped when he heard an all-too-familiar voice. Yo, this is McGinnis. Kudos on the bugs in a room, kid. I could use someone like you in my office. Been a while since I've had a partner, too. And not in that way. McGinnis and Rose. I like the sound of that. Call me if you're interested. Anyway, I also called to thank you on the intel. Knew there was something suspicious about that Grayson and Landsberg. I may need your services a little bit more. Leads aren't coming easy with these two. Give me a call back when you can, babe. Good God! She is bugging us! Aw, now I feel hurt. All this time I've been nothing but a bother to you. Paige, you're back! Damn right I am. What the hell are you doing in my apartment? Dropping off your check. What the hell are you doing invading my employer's privacy? That's none of your concern. Julie and I figured you wouldn't approve, so we kept it a secret. Bloody right I wouldn't. Miss Decker needs to know about this, as well as those Grayson and Landsberg fellows. No, Tommy, you don't understand. Out of my way. Tommy pushed past Paige and bolted down the stairs before she could say another word. He ran in a dead sprint until he got back to the office. Miss Decker, Miss Decker! I was right. Paige is spying on us. He got as far as his desk before he felt another presence in the room, and it wasn't Stella's. Turning, he saw a gun trained on him. It's Holder? Macy. Kid, I think that's the least of your worries right now. Nothing at all is how it appeared at first glance, and now both Stella Decker and Tommy Potsdam are yearning for the way it used to be, when things were simpler and you knew what side everyone was on. What is Macy doing? Did Paige and Julian really plant bugs in Stella's office? Is Agent Drake telling the truth? The plot thickens in the next episode of Decker and Hayes. Secrets and Lies.
In that episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Tymon, Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson, Tommy Ponstrom was Nicholas Roach, Julian McGuinness was Rich Bellin, Derek Washburn was Elijah Weberham, and Paige was Magdalena Richards. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Cod Mikowski. Excellent, excellent. And that brings us to the end of our radio serials for the week. What does that leave left in the episode? Well, I, that leaves your listener mail. And we did get some mail for you, Frank. I was worried for a while there we didn't get any mail on your episode. But we did end up getting some, so you should be happy about that. I am very happy about that. I'd be happy to answer any uh, any mail that I got. Well, it's not all for you. It's not all for you. Um, in fact, this first one is up for uh, Mr. Scape P. White. Oh, that's me. That's me. Oh, uh, what does this, what does the P stand for? Uh, the P stands for Percival. Thank you. You're welcome. What? I, you said thank you. Whatever. Let me let me read it right to you. Dear Mr. Scape P. White, I am writing today on behalf of Senator Randall Marsh to thank you for bringing up an important political issue during this election, one that neither campaign has addressed to a satisfactory degree. Thank you for bringing to light the political needs of the feline species. While Mr. Kovacs is focusing on children and changing laws willy-nilly to allow him to run for president, he is ignoring the potential electoral participation of cats. I would like to offer you and a feline guest two days in Washington, all expenses paid, to meet with Senator Marsh and start discussing the political and legal action that we can take to afford you the rights you deserve. Our staff and facilities are well equipped with moist food and treats of all flavors, especially chicken and various brushes, combs, and toys to make your stay enjoyable. We also have several people on staff who have volunteered to give you pats and scratches. I look forward to hearing from you and working with you to bring these issues to the forefront of the election. Sincerely yours, Tatiana Korba, Campaign Director, Randall Marsh for President. Oh my goodness! <laughs> that sounds really good, Dad. That's a good deal. We should get this, uh, get back to this person. Well, we can't. We actually can't. What? No, Dad, we can't. They wrote. They said they would give me lots of moist food. They would give me uh, all expenses paid something and and brush me uh, all sorts of things. No, I, I know, but I mean, it, the, there's a problem with that, which is that this is a reference to an Epic Echoes episode, and Epic Echoes is the backwards series. So what? So Epic Echoes, so you'd have to go and do this before we had heard the episode in order for it to make any sense. What? Well, because now the next episode of Epic Echoes we hear is going to take place before the last debate. It's, it takes place while they're still campaigning. Uh, the, the episode before the debate episode was the election episode. So it would have had to, in fact, been after, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's kind of a backwards thing. You would have had to get these treats and this moist food before the episode aired. Well, why didn't I? Because we didn't get this letter. Look, it's, it's, a, it's a time paradox. It's a time paradox. But, I mean, it's nice of them to offer, but you're not going to be able to do it. Dad, that's literally not fair. That's totally not fair. I need that food. Well, I will give you some moist food, but it's not going to be like, you know, this all expenses, you know, crazy various da 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 da. Dad, that was what I was offered. Yeah, but not by me. <sighs> this is so not fair. Why do I never get anything? You get lots of stuff. Oh, you're such a liar. I'm going to move on to the next letter. Um, this one is specifically not for Scape. Oh, that's not true, but it's for Frank, Jordan, and Rory. Let me read it. Dear Frank, Jordan, and Roy, as a successful restaurant owner, I have a significant amount of influence in my community. Originally, I was an avid Kovacs supporter, but his support of the Jam It Up issue has ruined my business and driven me, frankly, a little batty. At first, I followed it literally and loyally, adding jam, no heaping jam, in all my recipes for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert. Well, you can imagine what this did for my restaurant. All my regular clientele left, and I had to declare bankruptcy. Then I thought maybe he meant my life, jam up my life. After a few days of smearing jam on the wall, floors, pillows, pipes, and you name it, of my house, I found myself with a very expensive project on my hands and no way to pay for it. I had to sell my house as is and pay enormous fines and am now even more in debt. How can we possibly elect someone whose policies are so financially unsound and harmful to the majority of America? Sincerely, another Marsh supporter, 
Betty Baker. Betty, I, I am with you on Marsh. I don't really support uh, Jimmy, unfortunately. I like the guy as a guy, but he's a good adventurer, but I, I don't support him for president. Unfortunately, since it's a backward series, we know uh, he wins. So it's no big deal. And it turns out that, you know, if we had, if Marsh had one, well, I mean, regardless of whether he wins or not, he was going to summon Cthulhu and try to have the American people and the entire world, in fact, be devoured. So he wasn't that great of a guy. That being said, it wasn't Kovacs' policy to jam it up. It was... It was Slade Gonzalo's, so I think you misunderstood. Uh, and this last one, this last letter is actually for addressed to Frank. So, uh, Rory, you want to read it? Well, fine, uh, I suppose. Dear Frank, thanks for your excellent and informative coverage of the debates and the election so far. Our organization is very excited to endorse Jimmy Kovacs and is proud of his work for youth rights. Finally, young people can vote and even run for president. We also look forward to working with President Kovacs to lower the ages to drink, drive, purchase tobacco products, and to give back the youth the rights that they have been denied thus far. Keep up the great work and thanks for helping to spread the word about this great candidate, Best Brad Bifton, Youth Rights League. Well, okay. I mean, what? Well, I think we kind of established that he doesn't have people voting, young people voting yet. I guess they could maybe do that in the future. He he has to, you know, get that passed and all. Uh, I don't know if he bothers when the whole Trellis attacking Earth thing takes takes a lot of his time. I don't think he was going to do the drinking and driving thing. I, he specifically said he didn't like drinking and driving. No, I don't think they meant he wanted uh, uh, to have them be able to drink and drive. I think separately. Drink and also at other points... Drive, drink or drive, I suppose. Oh, like, oh, like kids can drink and like, how long are we talking about? Well, it doesn't say. I, I mean, it's the youth rights. I don't know. I guess all of them. All of them? Like babies. Babies can drink alcohol. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Jimmy ever said this. I think they're putting words in his mouth. Well, I hope so because, gosh, that's terrible if that's the case. No, I don't think we should, I don't think we should believe that this is the case. All right. All right, good. Because I don't, I don't like that. Me neither. All right. Well, you know what? We're going to wrap it up for tonight. If you'd like to send us some listener mail, you can send it to castinwax at gmail.com. That's castinwax at gmail.com. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. We will be back next week. We will have all sorts more stuff. It's going to be hella fun, uh, as they say in the places where they say that. I don't, even, I don't know where they say that. Waxwork theme G in the background there you'll hear. And uh, enjoy the rest of it. We'll be seeing you. Well, go through it all, fix I need your noibits And other gifts, no fractions In my shattered mirror, make me loving eyes Almost looked and sincere When I put it in, I'll handle with care There's been a lot of stranger things in there Things I'm fed by lying water I guess you really are your mother's daughter I'm being experiment was fine, but there's one thing wrong Fiction in a minute lasts twice as long But once I get tired of a one night stand I'll have a few stopping seconds with me and here we go. God, God save, save Waxwork. God save Waxwork.com. God save Waxwork. God save Next episode of Cast in Wax. On guard duty, Broadband and the Jack discuss how far they would go to win. No one is implying that you're some sort of villain in disguise. You can be a good person in real life and still cheat at Scrabble. But I don't! You don't have to convince me personally. I think I prefer to believe you're some sort of idiot savant. Hey! 
On Debatatorium, we discuss global warming. Now, global warming, I thought it had to do with many, many, many years, like centuries type stuff, Then, rather than like days. Must it be a century for the sun to rise or the moon to set? No, that's a day. And on Epic Echoes, the Kovacs campaign deals with an October surprise. Ah! Oh, my hairballs! Dwellers, are you okay? I'm fine. I just couldn't listen to that man talk about Julie like she was some sort of political ploy. Shame about the TV, though. All this, plus a Frank Allen interview and Rory St. John's This Day in History, coming October 27th to waxwork.com. <laughs>